Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. I'm not sure what kind of week you had, uh, but this past week, Carol and I celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary, and they were pretty pumped about that. Very thankful. Thankful for uh, 30 years together, the future together for our family and for you, uh, the church family. God has been so incredibly good, and uh, we're just celebrating that. And as we were out for dinner last night, Carol was telling me about, you know, just kind of raising the kids and the family. She said, I've just got boxes and boxes of videos. You know, I need to transfer over because, you know, you can take all those boxes of all those videos that you really can't watch because nobody watches the video anymore, and, uh, and you can put them all into something that's this small. Isn't that amazing? Technology. The wonders of modern technology. In fact, due to the advancements of technology, there are things that, that used to be commonplace you just don't see anymore. For example, there was a day, and some of you may not even remember this, when if you're going to go to the beach and you wanted to listen to music, you had to have a boombox. Remember this? And you put it on your shoulder and you'd carry it around and everybody could hear it whether you wanted to or not. And I actually think there are probably many people today that are deaf in one ear because they carried one of these around on their shoulder. Today, if you want to listen to music on the beach, you just bring your iPhone. That simple. Right Now, there's one thing that's transitioning right now. For example, many people who love to read, some people still read books with pages, right? And you turn the pages, and, and when you want to remember where you are, you might you know, fold over the upper corner, and you'll come back to it. But for those who, who want to read and actually like make notes and send them and email them to themselves, and what's better than getting an iPad and getting the Kindle app? And, and many people are doing it that way, the wonders of modern technology. Or you may remember a day, I do, uh, when we travel across the country. And you know what? One person would be driving and the other person would unfold the map that could never be folded back to its original condition. You know what I'm talking about. And you'd unfold this map so it could tell you where you're supposed to go. The only problem was you couldn't see where you're supposed to go because the map is so big. You have to pull off to the side of the road and figure it out and then and be on your way. One lesson I take from, from all of this, since you know, now the phone, your iPhone will just tell you where to go, is that I shouldn't have sold my Apple stock some 20 years ago. But that's a different lesson than the lesson I think that this holds out for us because there's one thing in our society, in our culture, that has been disappearing that I'm not quite so excited about. And as a result of its disappearance, many have been blinded to their tendency to rationalize. A lot of rationalization going on in our world today. Uh, because of this disappearance, many have been blinded to the destruction around them, and some have been blinded to the destruction taking place within them. It's an amazing thing how this three-letter word has fallen out of favor. And in its place, we have inserted other words like dysfunction or disease, mistakes or failures. We've been working really, really hard to avoid any reference to this word that was once so popular. And this holds true even though this word is implemented and demonstrated every single second of every single day by every single person all around the world. What's the word? Sin. 
I don't know if you know this or not, but a few years ago, the Oxford Junior Dictionary removed the word sin from its contents. They stated that sin had fallen into disuse since it was no longer relevant to younger generations. So apparently only those over the age of 20 still sin. Or to be young again. Or to be young. And while many people talk about living for more and making the most of their life, the truth is you'll never be able to do that until each one of us deal with the depth of our own sin. Let me ask you, what kind of words have you been using to label the wrong things that you do? Come up with different names for them? It's essential that we're honest about this. John tells us in 1 John 1, 8, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, John uses really, really strong language here because he knows our propensity for deceiving ourselves. Uh, we'll, we'll embrace mistake number one, as I call it, this idea that sin is not a problem. It's just not a problem, not that big of a deal. And John says, oh man, be honest. He's saying sin is first a condition before it's an act. It's a condition before it's an act. It's why he says if we claim to be without sin. And this means that sin is already present in our lives before we even realize that it is. In fact, the psalmist painted it this way. He said, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So before we even took our first breath, sin was already present. So to be with sin is like saying, I have a moral problem, or I have a disposition towards disobedience. And this is rooted in the Genesis narrative where we see Adam and Eve striving to be just like God. And Paul would later write it this way. He said, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. See, Paul is telling us that sin is not only about us doing wrong things. Sin is first understanding that something is wrong within us. And this holds true even though we were all made in the image of God. Because while we were designed to powerfully reflect God's goodness, his love, his justice, his beauty, we're designed to reflect those things fully. Due to our sin, we, we really can't. And that's why sometimes we get it right, and other times we get it wrong. And when we do get it right, sometimes we want to tell other people that we got it right, which is due to our pride, which is also a sin. And that's why committing mistake number one is so messed up, the idea that sin is not a problem. This leads to the other mistake we sometimes make when it comes to deceiving ourselves. Sin, if it exists, then, is not my problem. It's not my problem. After all, it's really easy for us to see the sin in other people. I mean, have you ever thought about this? Don't you find it interesting that it's always the other people on the road who are the bad drivers? Watch out for them, right? They're really bad. They're awful. That person cut me off in traffic, so they're evil. Or that person cut in line in front of me at Kroger, and they're so bad, they should only shop online. Right? We see the sin of others with 20-20 vision. John tells us that if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So John then moves from telling us that sin is a condition to conveying that sin is also an act. It's our act. So let me restate it this way. We all have a sin nature. Our sin, our, our nature, it predisposes us to certain behaviors that are unique to us. Talk more about that in just a moment. 
And yet we all have the capacity, especially when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, to veto any kind of predisposition. The brother of Jesus, he wrote it this way. He says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own desire. Notice he said their own desire, because you might have a desire that just does not tempt me at all. And I might have a desire to go, man, I don't know what's up with you because that is just not a thing for me. So each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own desire. What I find interesting is that 2,000 years before science discovered the idea of genetic predisposition, the Bible stated that each one of us is predisposed towards certain temptations that are unique to us. James goes on to write, he says, each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own desire and enticed. That's the key word, enticed. Here, James addresses the power of our life experiences combined with the culture and the pressure all around us. He's basically asking, who is influencing you? What is enticing you? And the very moment we become enticed towards a certain temptation, we do well to remember uh, what one leading German researcher said regarding this uh, worldwide study. He said, a person's decisions are not at the mercy of unconscious and early brain waves. They are able to actively intervene in the decision-making process and interrupt a movement. What he's referring to is a movement we would call sin, something that's wrong that we're gonna do. He's saying, before you do that, you can actually stop that. So sin is not something that just somehow happens to us. We live in a culture with a lot of victims today, and certainly there are some victims. But we have a victim mentality. This just kind of happened to me. No, 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 no. Sin is a choice that we make. In fact, one of my friends wrote me just recently, and she described the process this way for her. If I'm being honest with myself, every time I do something that I know is a sin, there's a moment right before I act where I choose. I decide deliberately every time which way I'm gonna go. Don't get me wrong, we may feel as though we don't have control over ourselves, but what we feel is not always a reflection of reality. So if we feel like not interrupting that movement and that desire that's springing up within us, James tells us what the results will be. It says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. And this holds true for all of us, despite what our unique sinful predispositions might actually be. There's good news in all of this. Paul writes it this way. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. He's saying, he's gonna give you the power you need to say no to that or go another direction. But friends, we'll never find that way out if we're busy redefining our choice to sin or acting like sin just doesn't exist. And that's why John writes so emphatically. He, he wants us to understand some lessons here. Lesson number one is this, that we are sinners by nature and by choice. We are sinners by nature and by choice. So what choices have you been making? We all have them. We have options. Some people try to, you know, just kind of ignore their sin. Some people try to minimize it. Others try to rationalize it. Some obsess over it that defines them. And still others learn to somehow just kind of live with it. 
A little over eight years ago when Carol and I moved here, I'll never forget, uh, there was a team of like 20 people from our church who were waiting at the house we were moving into and the truck backs up and you know what, they, they unloaded the truck filled with all kinds of boxes. You've probably been there before, right? And my wife, she had labeled the boxes, so we're bringing these boxes to this room and these boxes to that room, but everywhere you looked, there were boxes. And one of the first things you do is you open the most essential boxes first, like you have to eat. So you open those boxes, right? So you got the most essential boxes open, but you know, you're going you're gonna to get to the other ones. You will. And so eventually you start opening one and then maybe another. But then after a while, it's just like so time consuming. But it, 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 it really annoyed me. Like I'd walk into the room like there's boxes and it would bother me. But it took so much work to deal with them. And eventually, over time, I began to utilize them. I would read on these boxes, you know, like it was a table. I'd eat on it, you know, have my coffee, you know. See, what annoyed me at first eventually became abnormally beneficial in some kind of strange, dysfunctional way. What sins have you been treating like friends? Got really comfortable with them. They're friends that will soon betray you. See, sin can and will damage your body. It will hurt other people. It will serve as a barrier between you and your best friend. It will rob you of joy. And if you let it, it will destroy your marriage. We have to be careful about this. In light of this, perhaps it's time for a deep clean. A deep clean. That's why John tells us, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So then based on John's first lesson that we are sinners by nature and by choice, John now moves to his second lesson that we are sinners who must confront our sins. We have to confront them. And many people don't like confrontation. In fact, many people try to avoid it. Not Paul. You've heard these words before. He writes so honestly. I do not understand what I do. Ever been there? I don't get what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, well, this I keep on doing. I know some of you might be thinking, because I've I've thought it too, a time or two. I mean, if I have a sin that keeps winning in my life, well, then you know what? It's not good, but I'm actually in good company because the apostle Paul struggled too, and God used him to change the world. Yeah, but Paul did something here. He not only struggled with certain sins, but he, he chose to do something with them. He chose to confront them. I don't know if you remember verse 20. He says, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. He's calling it out, saying, here it is. This is what it is. It is sin. Have you done that? Because once we're honest about our sin, we need to do something about that sin. And John tells us what to do next. He says, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We were just singing about this. The advocate, an advocate is one who pleads the cause of another before a judge. 
So basically, Jesus comes to our aid as we bring our sins before God the Father, the ultimate judge. As Paul wrote, he says, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. But here's the thing, but because of Christ's work on the cross, we really don't stand there alone. Jesus serves as our advocate and pleads our cause before the Father, and he can do that because he's already paid for our sins for us on the cross in obedience to his Father. That's why John writes, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we are sinners by nature and by choice. We are sinners who must confront our sins. And now John says, we are sinners who must confess our sins. I want you to think about confession as at least a two-step process. I was with a guy. Uh, This was, man, this was before I moved here, maybe nine years ago. I was in Israel, actually, having lunch. And uh, this guy sat down right across from me and started to talk with me and was great. And and then he started to get honest with me, you know? And he he says, you know what? In my marriage, I've been married, he said, for like 40 years at this point. He was an older man. He says, I still, after all these years, there are three words that I have a really difficult time saying in my marriage. I was wrong. I still struggle to say those words, even when it's obvious that I was wrong. When it comes to confession, people say, yeah, I can can kind of admit it. Well, that's kind of the first stage, right? Admitting to God that I've done wrong. But it's more than just saying, you know what? My bad, my bad. I've done wrong. I've done wrong here. And that leads to repenting then. Asking God's forgiveness for the wrong I've done and then repenting means turning away from it, going the opposite direction. And John tells us that due to the goodness of God, God will respond to our confession by displaying two wonderful aspects of his character. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just. Faithful means worthy of trust. Just is righteous in observing divine laws. This means that when we confess our sins before God, God will show himself to be completely trustworthy by responding to us with his most amazing grace. This is God's part. We have a role to play as well. We need to confess. And confession, I've been learning and learned through my life and keep learning along the way, requires some different things that we don't easily embrace. just want to mention a few. Confession reminds us that we're not as good as we think we are, or that we want others to think that we are. And that's why we don't want to do it, because it's admitting that we're not as good as we think we are, and we want others to think that we are. And this is the moment we do that, we have to like kind of be honest about it. So rather than deal with a discrepancy, a lot of people live as posers, pretenders, and redefiners in our world. Rather than be honest with their sins, they try to go on living like they are better than that. But they aren't, and you aren't, and I'm not either. We are all sinners. The only question is, will we confess? Because when we do, this is the second thing we want us to think about. Confession reminds us of the righteousness of God. And here's what I've discovered. That there are many more people who are willing to admit that God is righteous than there are people who are willing to admit that they are not. Yeah, God is holy. But I'm not. We want others to think that we are. But if we'll humble ourselves, right, and we work through the first two steps we just talked about, still some struggle with what comes next. 
The confession reminds us of our dependence upon Jesus Christ. We live in a self-sufficient world. We don't want to be dependent upon anyone else unless it means that we get a free ride that instantly makes our life easier. Dependence upon Christ, well, that's a daily decision and it's not always easy. And yet if we humble ourselves and confess our sins before God, God will be faithful to do two things. First, he will forgive us our sins. And that means as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. God forgives fully, no strings attached. After all, when God forgives us, he releases us from our debt and obligation to what we have committed And that means we're going to no longer need to pay for that sin again because Christ has paid for our sins on the cross for us. And that's good news. But there's more. John also tells us that when we confess our sins, he will purify us from all unrighteousness. So when God forgives us our sins, he purifies us from that sin. That means he looks deep down into our hearts and he removes what doesn't belong there. So forgiveness releases us from guilt. Purification removes our shame. And when we put this all together, we get 1 John 1, 9. It's our memory verse for this week. Will you say it with me? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, John's trying to get us to understand that confession leads to a deep clean we all need. We all need. This holds true for every person who has ever lived. Let me ask you, what items have been waiting for you on your confession list? Do you have one? Try to live like you don't need one. Do you have a confession list? I hope you do, and if you do have such a list, you know what, those items shouldn't remain there very long. Once we are honest and we confront our sin, we call it out, there it is, okay, God, I need to confess this. Have you? Will you? I want to give us an opportunity to do that right now. So you close your eyes. Those who are watching online, those here in this room, just call it out, just be honest. And I first want you to think about any wrong that you know exists between you and God. You know you disobeyed. You know that your approach to him wasn't uh, wasn't great. You know that you have personally wronged him. Right now, where you're at, confess and say, Lord, I've wronged you. Lord, please forgive me for what I've done. And give me the strength needed to choose your way. I confess. And Lord, I also confess that I need you. I need you, Lord.
is without you I fall apart You're the one that guides my heart Lord, I need you Oh, I need you Take this deeper. Between you and God, and uh, I want you to look at the lives of those around you. Who have you wronged? Is it a family member, somebody at work, a neighbor, someone right here in this church? You've wronged with words that you have said to them about them, actions that you've taken that are hurtful, or maybe it's just your lack of forgiving them, even though they've asked for it. Let's take this deeper. And right now, between you and God, say, Lord, you know this sin. You know it's there. Lord, give me the strength that I need to go to that person and ask for their forgiveness. And if, Lord, they've wronged me and I'm holding on to bitterness, help me to forgive them as you have forgiven me fully. Lord, I don't want anything standing in the way between you and I, me and another. My sin runs deep. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to walk and live in the fullness and the freedom of your grace.
Remember who you are. You are his son. You are his daughter. You are precious. You are prized. You are forgiven. You are free. So may the grace of God enfold you. The love of God embolden you. And the strength of God uphold you. Go now. In his grace his peace. See you next weekend. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.